following program is presented by We Don't Know Sports. Sports have gotten way too serious as of late, and we're just here to have a little fun. Be sure to subscribe for updates and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. We Don't Know Sports, where we just decided let's not take things too serious and just have a little bit of fun. The following episode of Beat the Shift with Greg Rawlings is sponsored in part by Big Timber Brewing Company. Big Timber Brewing is a tap room located right here in the heart of Appalachia. But you know what? It's more than that. They've paid homage to the surrounding forests and the industry that's built some of these communities. But they're making beer that not only do they love, but the community also enjoys just as much. Creating a product that the entire state can take pride in. What started as a dream became a reality in 2014 when their first keg went out the door and their commitment to beer, the community, and their dream continues and grows stronger every day. Thank you and special shout out to Big Timber Brewing Company right here in Elkins, West Virginia. It's time to start the show, and we got two guests joining Greg this week, and it's a catcher's edition, so we have Mr. Ed Hearn from the 86 Mets, and he may or may not just be the star of the 30 for 30 that the Four Letter Network put out not too long ago, and then we went to the other side of the city, and we found a catcher for the World Series 78 Yankees, and went and got our good friend Mike Heath to come back on the show, so this is a catcher's edition, and we took all your questions from social media, and we're bringing it to these guys so we can hear all about life behind the mask this is beat the shift with greg rawlings and here's your host greg rawlings welcome to the show guys and how you been man man i'm doing all right man you know i feel good for how i feel there you go <laughs> hey all i'm gonna ask at the beginning here uh i know you're a huge chiefs guy so don't pick on me about my raiders performance monday night because my heart can't take it right now okay is that fair Hey, man, well, the Chiefs been struggling along, too, brother. That's all right, man. It's going to be a race to the end going that west. You all going to get a defense before it's over with? Well, or we're going to score 100 points a game. I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. Mike, how you doing, buddy? All's good, Greg. How's everybody doing, Ed? You all right? Yes, sir. Good to see you, my man. I'm honored to be on the show with you, brother. Nice seeing you, my friend. We're all good. We're ready to rock and roll here, gentlemen. I've been living vicariously through you on your Facebook and watching you tour the country on your bike and seeing all these beautiful places and photos. And I'm like, man, that looks like fun. You know, he's, I'm just living through you. While I'm a UPS slaving away. Well, uh, stay tuned because uh, next weekend I'm going up to the mountains and uh, me and a friend and we're going to head up there and ride the, ride the mountains of Northern Georgia again. Outstanding. They're going, to, they're going to jump in here in a minute and ask about your bike and all that. I saw that as one of the fan questions. So we're going to dive in a little deeper on that here in a little bit in the fan Q&A. Amen. So, so uh, let's, let's get started here. As far as the uh, – and this one's for you. The 86 documentary that just came out, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't seen it yet. So for me and everyone else that hasn't seen it, what's your one takeaway and – What's the reason why we should watch if we haven't already? Well, I mean, to tell you, boy, I mean, everybody knows about the 86 team. It was, it was a rude team. Uh, the takeaway I'll give you is that, that I, I told my parents it was going to be on, and my mom called me and she said, son, if I had known that, that was going on, I'd have had a heart attack. <laughs> So it, it, what, what we think is perception was actually reality for that team. That's what you're saying. 
Uh, then, add, then add about 50%. Yes. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> so, Mike, this, this one's for you, buddy. Uh, we kind of touched on it last week, but why are you such a bully to Hall of Famers? <laughs> I didn't hear you. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think you're talking about the two instances with uh, uh, one with uh, Jim Rice and the other one with um, what's his name? Some big dude. I don't remember his name. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, well, the one with Dave Winfield, we were in New York, and Mike Norris was the pitcher on the mound. And uh, normally, you kind of try to chase, chase him in to tie him up because he's got long arms. Well, we were going to throw one way away off the plate off of him and uh, try to get him to chase it down the way. Well, Mike let it go and accidentally got up and in on him. And when he goes down and, and he's – Pointing at the out at the mound, and so Mike Norris gives him a low five, you know. Uh, and uh, so Winfield comes out there and said, Norris, I'm gonna kick your ass right now. And I went around winning. I said, Look, Dave, the ball just got away from him, but he says, I'm gonna start with your ass right now, and that's how that one's so you know, it's it's just you know, nobody gets to the mound off my pitchers, I don't care who they are, but uh, I always seem to. Uh, nobody's made it to the mound so and Jim Rice was arguing over you know pitches and stuff like that that guys were loading it up and so just a just a between <laughs> so it's one of those things as a catcher being a catcher show here um if if you got to take out for your pitcher no matter what no matter who's in the batter's box correct I mean you got to show that you got their back Correct. Um, of course, you're not going to let nobody get out there, and you know you can't let nobody, you know, try to bat on your pitcher. I mean, you know, we all got to go through the same thing as a hitter, as a defensive player. But yeah, you don't let nobody say stuff. To the pitcher. That's all right. Before we jump into Q and A's, um, do you, either of you, and I'll start with Ed, do you all have a rooting interest in this year's postseason? Is there a team that you'd like to see win at all, or are you not really following it this year? Well, is something going on right now? Uh, oh, is this baseball? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no. who's, yeah. who's playing? Exactly. Who's playing? There you go. They're playing tomorrow. That's all I care about. There you go. Well, okay. Well, I don't really care. I don't, uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, 1994 kind of burned me out on the game. And, uh, you know, uh, all this I, I, me, me, and all that junk, man, just wore me out. I will confess that I did uh, – uh, subscribe to MLB broadcast because we got offered a discount for the alumni. And the one reason I did, I haven't, I haven't watched baseball in 10 years, unless my wife wants to go out to the same bear in Kansas City with the Royals. Uh, but I got that TV package because I wanted to see that kid, not a kid anymore, but the Grom pitch. Man, he is awesome. And so, you know, I, honest to God, otherwise, um, uh, I'm just not, not into watching, watching baseball. I mean, and I understand that. The game's changed a lot, and we're going to touch on that. But two things to follow up on what you said. DeGrom, hands down, when healthy, is the best pitcher in baseball, and it's not close. He can throw any pitch on any count wherever he wants. And he can throw 100 all the way through up until the ninth inning or however long he stays in. But second, how awesome is it that Salvi Perez, being a catcher for the Royals, leads the American League in home runs this year? Man, that is awesome. Got to pull for the catchers, man. You know, right. uh, uh, we may not be the best-looking guys, right, Mike? But uh, 
you know, we work horses and, and sometimes we pay the price. And uh, I just got asked the other day about, well, you know, how hard is it to, to, you know, hit when you're a catcher? Well, obviously it's hard because we're not, you know, uh, you know, we're out there on defense. That's our main job. And we're not out there practicing our swing in the outfield or, or, you know, uh, uh, trying to get some chick out stands. Uh, you know, that's our most important job is being uh, defensively taking care of the pitcher. And so it, all the hitting and all secondary. So for, for Salary to do that, uh, man, for any catcher to do it, amen. Right on, brother. How about you, Mike? You got a dog and a fighter. You just kind of, ah, it don't really matter to you. I really don't care, to be honest with you. Um, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna root for a team, you know, I like the Tigers and I like the uh, the Oakland A's, but uh, yeah, and I like my Rays too. But I'm I, I don't follow baseball anymore. I'm more of a NASCAR guy. <laughs> we won't hold it against you, all right? All right. <laughs> hey, all right, so- Mike. Mike, what's the problem when when they throw that yellow flag up and the guy's leading by? 85 seconds, and then they pull them all right up against each other's bunker. Bumper, I don't know how you handle that stuff, man. I know you go delete this, but I just had to ask that. <laughs> yeah, they throw that caution out there, and it kind of kind of brings the the the, the field back together. And let's see who's going to beat it to the finish line from there. You know, I know it cracks me up, man. I can't stand it. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> No, no, that's, that's great. I, y'all talk as much as you want. I thought I just got to sit here and listen to you. I'm fine for the rest of the night, believe me. So, uh, Ed, Josh Wright wants to know what you think of Mike Scott. <laughs> I'm sure he's a real nice fellow. I've never met the guy in person, but, you know, he needs to get some hair on the top of that head, I would say, first of all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I can tell you this. What I can tell you about Mike Scott is the man was absolutely dominating in 1986. And yes, he, he was, uh, and you know, I got, right, I got one right here. Uh, I got the evidence. Oh, <laughs> the man was mixing it up right there. Oh, I mean, but, but I'll tell you what, however you do it, if you don't get caught, I'm saying all in, man. So my hands off the mic. If we had not won game six, of that national league playoff against the Astros, it was 16 innings. We've been home with our crying tails, no doubt about it. He was in our minds big time. Does MLB know you have that ball, or do we need to keep delete this part out so they don't know where it is? No, they don't care. We sent them, we sent them two dozen of them. <laughs> I'm the guy who found the darn things. I was sitting on the bench, and, you know, it's finally occurred to me. You'd think a catcher would figure this out, but they're rolling out all the balls to, to the bat boy in, in the on-deck circle or, you know, on that side of the dugout. And finally, I saw a ball rolling. I'm oh, wait a second. So I got down there and sat by the bat boy, and, and I looked at every ball that got thrown out. And it only took about, well, one inning with him out there, but, you know, two, two innings, and, and I was sure, and I had probably eight or ten by then, about every third ball that came out when he was pitching was the same spot on the ball, same exact design. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I took him to, to Hernandez first, to Max, and then Max took him to Davey. We sent them into the league, but of course they ain't gonna do anything with, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how are they gonna do anything in a postseason like that? So, you know, uh, yeah, you you tell them, uh, you know, I'll sell him one if you want one. Hey, sadly, uh, Manfred's too worried about like crazy runners, like the ghost runner on second base and extra innings and that type of shit. So you're probably right; he don't care. Oh Lord, have mercy, please. 
So, Mike, this one's for you from Matt Claremont. He says, you were a veteran on the 91 Atlanta Braves in your last year in the big leagues. What was that role like on an upcoming team of young stars, and did you have any memories that stand out from that 91 season? Well, uh, the thing about that is uh, the Braves went out. They went in the, in the 90, they were the last place team. So they went out and got some new look free agents. They call us new look. And Terry Pendleton, Sid Bream, myself, Juan Berenguer, brilliance of veterans that came in with these young guys. But those guys, those guys were ready to pop anyhow. They were ready to, and reel it off because they had some great talent on that ball club. But spring training, had an elbow injury, and uh, I got injected. and. So I played about a month and a half, two months, and then it came back, and, and that was basically the end of my career. But what I do remember about that, when, whenever I got over there, Bobby Cox had called me in the office, and uh, he had asked, he, he had said that, hey, he, he says, you know, you're a catcher that calls, you know, the game backwards at times. In other words, fastball counts, throw all speed stuff and like that. And that's what we liked about you, and we want – you know, John Smoltz to do that because Johnny had a 96 mile an hour fastball with a hell of a cutter or, or slider. So he said, you know, your job is to catch him. We want you to start his uh, cutter or slider when he's behind in the count and you're good at that. So uh, that was one of the things I remember Bobby called me in. And then Bobby also wanted me to come up with a set of different signs. And I came up with, I felt a great set of signs, uh, and we used them the whole year, and you could see guys at second base shaking their head like they couldn't get them. So that was two of the things that I thought that stood out. Plus those guys, all those guys on that ball club were great. great. I got I got the uh, Sid Breen photo behind me. Uh, I think that was they believe I was ninety two though. Uh, it's autographed when uh, Francisco Cabrera knocked in Sid, and we got to witness Barry Bonds' noodle arm, uh, but. Sid slid, and he was fast enough that day. Yeah, Sid was the other guy I was thinking about, new look free agent. But here, here's here's one thing that happened in, in the clubhouse uh, prior to uh, playing the Pirates. After our meeting we had on how to go over guys and what to do and how, how, to, how to pitch guys and, and watch their defense, Terry Pelton stood up and he said, listen, guys, I'm telling you right now, Bond is not a postseason player as far as defensively. Take every base you can on him because he does not make good throws. He he will rush himself and he doesn't make good throws. And look at that play with Sid Breen. That's exactly basically what we did in that thing. Sid just kept going and he threw the ball not up the line. He threw the, the ball towards the first base side and it was a bad throw. And actually, if he makes a good throw there, Sid's out. So we put the pressure on Bonds every time we could uh, in the outfield to make him make a throw. And it worked out on that occasion for sure. It's one of the biggest plays uh, that I can remember growing up for sure. Um, this next question is from Detroit Dan, Dan Emery. It's for both of you. But we're going to start first with Ed. What's, what's your favorite stadium that you played in? Yeah, that's, a, that's an easy one for me. Uh, I love playing uh, at Wrigley. Absolutely just a – um, you know, I think it was as much the fans. Well, the ballpark's very unique, of course. You know, all the vine and all that stuff, and uh, the fans are right on top of you. I mean, there's not much room behind the catcher. 
you know, not a lot of foul territory, which uh, makes nice for, for batting, you know, batting averages. Uh, but the fans are very knowledgeable. Uh, they, they drink good. They drink much. And they, they, they get on you. I mean, I mean, it's not like a bad ragged on you, like, like say, a New York or a Philly type thing. But they bust your chop pretty hard. But then you go to get on the bus back to the hotel after a taxi, whatever. And here's the thing. Hey, man, hey, you want to go? We're going to treat you, man. You want a steak and beer on us, man? I'm like, wait, man, you dudes is busted on my mama. <laughs> I mean, but that's how those folks were. That's the way oh, I found them, so I enjoyed it. Now, they can, they can remake that damn clubhouse, I'll tell you. Oh, I mean, that thing, you, that was like you couldn't hit Barbie doll in there. But otherwise, I, I really enjoyed Wrigley. I didn't care how long the fence is, all that. I just enjoyed those aspects as unique. Uh, and, and the fans were, were very knowledgeable. They got drunk and had a good time. And it was fun to watch people in the stands if you weren't in the game. And, and they, 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 they come at you hard, but they, you know, like I said, they can, they come back and take you out. <laughs> it's all right, man. I think me and the crew next year, uh, we're going to head and do a stadium tour of Wrigley and then catch a ball game there because I've been to Fenway. So I've, now I've got to check out uh, Wrigley because you just got to go to Wrigley as a baseball fan. So I, I can't wait to go. And I think it'd be an awesome experience. So I can see that one. Uh, Mike, what about you? Do you have a stadium that stood out for you? Yeah. Um, actually, there's kind of two. I didn't spend much time in, in the National League. So, you know, I hit the ballparks, but, you know, they weren't, they weren't quaint, you know, like I was in the American League. And uh, I love Anaheim, California, and the stadium there. I, I just, I don't know what it was. I thought it was a beautiful setting there and everything, but I love the stadium. Uh, and that's but uh, and then um, Fenway was another one. I, I I really really love Fenway, the look of it. And there's a little story about Fenway, and it probably is why, if you don't mind me going into it. In '72, uh, my mom had to go up uh, uh, in uh, Boston, and I went up with her. I was in high school, a junior in high school, because she was in Mastercard division at the bank. So and we were up in the central building. I think that's the building out. And they were having a game down in Fenway. And I told my mom, one day I'm going to be playing in that ballpark. So, you know, that was kind of a laughing thing and all that. Yeah, Fenway and Anaheim were my two favorites. I, I, I thought, like Ed touched on, the Boston fans, uh, they were very knowledgeable when I went that one game. And I was, I was a little inebriated uh, when I went because I was there for a work meeting. But swing it, singing Sweet Caroline in the seventh inning or whatever inning, sixth inning was pretty sweet, too, hearing all them fans do that. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I, I don't remember that, of course, in the game. I, I don't remember much whenever I'm playing out there. I just, I just stay focused in on the game, man. I, I didn't pay attention to what was going on with the fans. It, it was a great uh, atmosphere. So, I mean, I, I like, that's probably one of my top experiences going to a ball game was at Fenway, Fenway for sure, not even being a Red Sox fan. So, I, I you feel you on that one. You know, one of the things you talk about, the, those California uh, stadiums, for me, my first major, major league game was Dodger Stadium. And I noticed over my time, which wasn't nearly anything close to Michael, uh, but, um, you know, the folks would come in about third inning. And then they'd be leaving about seven days. I mean, 
you will you will get a date on me. Why don't you watch a little bit more of the ball game? It's crazy. I mean, it would go from being a, you know a third of fans, and then by a, you know third inning, there's you know you got everybody's gonna be that night, and then the seventh inning, you look up and everybody's gone. Not everybody, but you know that's crazy. They had to get Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that last night. It's a winner go home game against the Cardinals, and there's empty seats in the stands last night on a winner go home game. It's like they just casually show up, and you know we'll just exactly. get here when we get here type thing. Exactly. Uh, so this one's for both of you. We can start with uh, Ed again. Uh, this question's from Stephen Self or Stephen Self. Sorry, uh, what's it like catching a knuckleball? I don't know if both of you just caught a knuckleball, but Ed, have you? What, what's a knuckleball like? <laughs> oh Lord, it be. Um, you know, I don't. I never really caught any of the great knuckleballers. Um, uh, Nipper, Mike Nipper, was playing one with one near end of his career caught him and they gave me this big old waffle glove and I mean it's a it's a challenge wasn't it Yogi who said the best way to catch a knuckleball is just back to back stop and pick it up and right I mean they could stop rolling (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's just uh it's crazy uh especially when you got people on base that's the worst part of it is you know and and trying to you know throw anybody out is is a real real challenge in, in uh, when you catch a, a true knuckleball. How about you, Mike? Did you have the experience of that? No. The only, uh, Doyle Alexander tried it a little bit with the uh, with the Tigers when he was with us, and he threw it a little bit. But uh, uh, like I said, none of the famous guys like Narcy or Wilbur Wood or any of those guys. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, I think well, the most recent one that I can think of off the top of my head was what we had R.A. Dickey and uh, Tim Wakefield, yeah. I think, is the last couple, but there's not many. No. Uh, nope. th- this one's for you, Ed. Uh, Dusty Fazell would like to know what it was like playing with Bo Jackson. Oh, Dusty. Great question, Dusty. Um, man, a lot of that. I mean, uh, what you think of Bo, you add another 100% on that. Uh, it, the man was just so gifted. And uh, people ask me a lot of times, like, what kind of person is Bo Jackson? And, I, and I, my response is, hey, he likes to hunt fish, so he's okay in my book. There you go. But truly, to see a man of, of that size, uh, with that strength, to have that speed, to have that power, I mean, the total package. And... I could tell you a story, but I'm afraid I might get out there, and uh, I don't want to get out there. <laughs> well, I don't care. I'll tell it. Now I've got it. Yeah, Bo Jackson. This is my favorite Bo Jackson story. Yep. So, uh, you know, I hurt my shoulder there at 87, and uh, in Kansas City, I came in the locker room. Um, I'd get dressed and hang out, get out of there. It's kind of hard when you hurt, you know, staying there with the whole game and stuff. Well, they did. They did a defensive replacement for Bo. And, well, he came in took in the shower. I was like, you know, I mean, that's not real common. This dude come in there, but you know, Bo, Bo was pretty much Bo. He pretty much knew what he wanted, I guess. But so uh, he be he was in there ahead of me in the shower, and uh, I walked in there, and there Bo was taking a shower, and I'm like, dang, Bo, man, dude, guy's got to cut a man short somewhere, man. You run, you hit, you power, all this stuff. That ain't right, dude. I mean, how in the hell are you running bases with that thing? Oh. I mean, that ain't right. And the best part of the story was he turned around and he, you know, he stuttered. 
And he turned around and he said, oh, 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 Eddie, oh. <laughs> so I don't uh, know if he was asking about my friend, but, you know, I don't know. Um, might as well tell it all, brother. <laughs> oh, wow. Bo, Bo knew, though, right? And Bo had it all, baby. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Similar question for you, Mike. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, on the young Ricky Henderson? Uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky was a specimen. I mean, he, he was, uh, he really, he didn't get in the weight room or anything like that, but Ricky was always chiseled, man. He must've worked out earlier, but uh, Ricky was a great guy. I mean, you know, some guys would say this, that, the other, but Ricky, Ricky's like a brother to me in, in roundabout ways, you know, he was really always generous and kind and <clears throat> he, you know, he, he, he played hard, man. He, he really played hard um, with us in Oakland. But uh, I can't say enough good things about Ricky, but always a good guy. Yeah, everybody said he talked in the third person or whatever, whatever, but just a super guy, super guy. Yeah, that's kind of been a takeaway that I've heard from a lot of people is like, uh, like, like the arrogance part, but to me, um, competitiveness, play, uh, competitiveness and playing hard. And I think you need to be a little arrogant. I mean, not saying you have to be over the top, but if you're that damn good, I mean, you want to kind of impose your will, especially for him on the base pass. And if you do that, you're going to get in people's heads, I think. Well, I think, I think all of us got a little bit of arrogance to us. Every athlete does, I feel. <laughs> you know, you're going to be a little arrogant. You get out there because you know you're pretty good and you want to do your job the best you can, and nobody's going to beat you that day. Uh, you know, I, every time I faced a hitter, I, I mean, a, a pitcher, I was going to beat him hitting. And any time I wanted uh, somebody coming to home plate, that's my home plate. So I guess I was a little arrogant too, but I think all athletes have to be. I, you know, I, think, I, think, I think pitchers in particular, Mike, you know, I mean, you have to show confidence you know i mean as a hitter i mean i think all of us uh looking at pitchers and they get in a situation and you, and you can see you can see in some of these guys where they just want uh you know like there's some guys mike you know my opinion a lot of guys be five and divers they go five in they got to win they're looking over their shoulder looking to that dugout for you know hey um you know maybe i Maybe like today's guys, but back in the day, you know, you 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 know, you get up there against Clemens and stuff, and Nolan, them guys just, I mean, they want to kick your butt. I mean, at least that's what it appears like, anyway. So, I mean, uh, your attitude is very important, and even if you ain't feeling it, you got to portray it. In my opinion, I agree. You weren't talking about Scott Sanderson, were you? (laughs) No. Oh, we got. <laughs> let's get him in the group. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one uh, is for you, Ed, from Andy Sunborg. He says, uh, "We kind of touched on it already, but Ed, your rookie year, you guys broke my heart as a lifelong Astros fan. Was Mike Scott as dominant as he looked that year? So, do you have anything more to add about that? We kind of touched I on can't. it already. I can't. That, uh, you know, Mike was absolutely incredible. I mean, as dominating as a pitcher could be." And like I said, hats off to the man. Um, he got her done. And, uh, you know, if you get her done and you don't get caught, that's another story. But, yeah, brother, he was – I mean, I guarantee you we would have lost that next game if he hadn't beat us. 
or if we hadn't beat them in 16. I don't have the numbers in front. Oh, you're good. You're good. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but who won that Cy Young that year in 86? Was it him? Uh, I got to plead. I'm getting old. Yeah, uh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because Dwight was really good that year, too. I think that's the year he went nuts, right? Yeah, he was He was his best the year before. Okay, I got you, got you, got you. Yeah. Um, this one's for you, Mike. Um, so this is Ozzy from Andy Sunborg. He says, your first year with the Yankees, you went through three managers on your way to a title. Must have been an interesting season with all the personalities on the team. Yeah, uh, it is. It, um, it was, matter of fact. Uh, in fact, I was starting from the beginning. I was in double A, and we, after our game, we were sitting at the ground round in uh, West Haven, Connecticut. Uh, having dinner, and uh, it was Rick's Nate Chapman, a couple of us there in our lives, and tells me, they're going to call you up, man, because uh, Cliff Jobs was catching, Fran Healy got hurt, Thurman got hurt, so they're going to call you up. I said, no, 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 they're going to call up Naren. So anyhow, make this short. I get home about 12.30 that night, I get a phone call from the from the general manager of West Haven Yankees, Bob Zai, and he says, hey, man, pack your bags. You're going up. And I told him, Bob, I know they called up Naren, so, you know, I don't want to go tell tell the Yankees I don't want to go to Tacoma, I, you know. He said, no, man, you're going to the big leagues, man. So he put me in that next day, and walking in the clubhouse was just amazing. It, it was just an amazing place to be, you know, with all the tradition and the players that come, come in and out of there and, and the players that were there at that point. But, yeah, you're talking about for a rookie coming up there and seeing the, the diversity of managers and the problem supposedly the team was having and around and go all the way and have force a one-game playoff with the Boston Red Sox and Bucky Dent three-run and having Bill Martin as a manager and Bob Lemon as a manager. It was quite the experience for a rookie baseball player uh, his pitching in the big league. I got something for you, Greg. All right, go ahead. So, I mean, that's a real privilege, Greg, to be out here with Mike, you know. I mean, I didn't – I get, get to play the years that – that he did, and most guys don't. I don't think people understand Mike played, Mike, 14 years, was it? I mean, that's yes. just incredible. Testimony to not only him, his work ethic, and, and all it takes to do that. But I, I'm going to share this with you. I thought it would be interesting for, for your fans to, fans to know this. Uh, back in uh, Gary LaRoche, with, I think he's with the Cardinals now, player development. He did a study back in the early 2000s, between 2000 and 2003. And it was a study on following guys were drafted. So during those four years, possibly 6,000 players, 1,500 a year. And, and then it's really, really interesting. You know, everybody knows there's about 8% chance of getting to the big leagues, you know, for, you know, just at least one day. But listen to this. Only 227 of, that, of those 6,000 would get more than one year of major league service time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 3.8%. You know, the number of players get two years, more than two years, it drops down to under 2% at 1.98%. And the number of guys he found that got three or more years in, you know, everybody talks about the 8 10% mark of making it. 
of those guys get drafted, but three or more years, it's 0.75%, less than 1%. I mean, so I mean, I think it's incredible. When I saw that, uh, that he put together, I was just blown away. I mean, we all, we all know how hard it is to get there, you know, how hard it is to be drafted, all that and signed, but to stay there, one thing to get there, but to stay there, it's just the odds are just so against the player. And that's why I say go get your education. <laughs> but my hat's off to you, Michael. Good job, man. You beat the odds, brother. Well, thank you very much. I think part of that was is my versatility. You know, I, I could play other positions pretty regularly and I had a great arm. That was it. <laughs> Clay Boy told me one time, he told me, he said, don't ever lose your arm. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, well, I can test to that. You know, <laughs> Yeah, multi-million dollar, I lost my arm, and that's it. You yep. know, I mean, I was set. I, You know, rookie year, uh, World Series team, the Royals wanted me because, uh, you know, Derek Carter, Hall of Famer, hurt his thumb in August. And, you know, I mean, the next day, the newspapers were like, worst thing could happen to Carter. There's a match, Carter goes down. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, whatever. And we went 11-3 and three for those two weeks. <laughs> and Carter, and that's really, I think that's one of the main reasons that, you know, the, the Royals wanted me to come over and take over that young staff that had Saberhagen, and Goose, all those young pitchers, uh, and, and grow, you know, be there with them, get them back to World Series just two years earlier. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, when, I mean, you know, people talk about it, that's the only bad move John Sherrill's ever made. And her in the worst trade world said, well, you know what? You can't control the things you can't control. I mean, yep. the big man up there, uh, the big man's got it in control. And, yep. uh, you know, we do, you got to do all you can do and then leave the rest of him. That's my, my plus. Hey, man. Well, Gubazov, man, uh, he was tough, man, but he tipped his pitches when he was out of the stretch. Not out of the windup, out of the stretch. You got somebody on them. Then we can, we can start seeing his pitches. Right there behind the back. Yeah. Well, and when he dropped the ball up, as soon as he brought it up, he'd spin it. So many. I mean, I mean, you played all those years. How many guys do you see doing that? Oh, there's quite a few. Oh, it's ridiculous. You know, I went after I after I was out of the game. I, I took my son to to the Royals game, and that was uh. Oh, I when after I was out of the game, uh, I took my son to the Royals game out here, and that was the year they they signed uh, Gil Meshi. Is that how you say it? You know, the big contract, he was their number one pitcher that year. Well, I uh, we're sitting pretty good seats there on the plate. And uh, by the second inning, I'm calling every pitch to my son. Yeah. And he's like, what are you, how are you doing that, Daddy? <laughs> you know, he was young enough, but he was old <laughs> enough. And uh, I, you know, I had binoculars, but my view was not any better than the hitter. And so, man, this is a crazy story. And so I took off and said, man, I got to go. Alan Baird was the was the man then, the GM. So I, I went up and said, I said, Cody, I'll be back. I went there and tried to tell Alan Baird, hey, your man, your multi-million dollar man is tipping every single pitch. Well, yeah. I didn't, couldn't find Alan, but I ran into George, BP George, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> George was like, uh, by the second day, like, oh, hey, 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 I said, George, hey, listen, hell, Andy, how you feeling? George, listen, I can't find Howard. What are you looking around for? Well, because I want to tell him so you guys can make a duck in here. What, what, what? 
So I tried to tell George, oh, oh, he tried to get serious. So I was like, oh, hey, you know. So I went back, watched the rest of the game. I got a call. I think it was Bobby McClure. I got a call for him the next day. Oh, I hear that you said our boy is to the pitchers. I said, well, yep. My son will tell you. And he said, what's he doing? I said, well, I told him. And uh, he said, well, well, you know, we're going to look at the video. And he called me back the following day and had the nerve to tell me, oh, we didn't see nothing. I yeah. said, I mean, what are you looking at? You're videoing from the, you know, about we're ready to go to the plate. Now, I'm looking at the guy in between. You know, of course, you know, I mean, I'm not the first one to find those pitches. But uh, I used to be pretty darn good at that. Um, matter of fact, here's another good story for you. I don't care. We're just talking, and I don't care if you use this. Whatever you want to do, Greg. But uh, So, you know, uh, Billy Bean came up. He was the number one pick with the Mets. And, you know, Billy had every single tool like Strawberry. I mean, they, they were extremely talented. They didn't have all the tools like Bo, but anyway, that's, yeah. another, that's the other story. But uh, I don't think he was a <laughs> guy, though, man. <laughs> no, but, you know, he was solid. Anyway, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't hit the curveball. So, well, I played with him in Jackson, Mississippi, AA, and I would hit behind him. You know, I'd hit four, he'd hit three, I'd hit five or whatever, five or six. And, well, I, I bet I called about, oh, at least 60, 70% of pitches in Jackson. And then the next year in Tidewater, Norfolk AAA, same thing. And you look on his stats, you see that the only two years he hit decent. And, uh, you know, after, I mean, we were roommates too, both those years. And, uh, you know, and then I got thinking, man, I might've ruined that dude's chance to get to the big leagues. He didn't learn how to do it, <laughs> but we never got caught. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, I mean, it'd been a big price. I hope he paid it instead of me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but we never got caught. I did it for the on deck circle. I mean, you know, 60% of the time, I guarantee you 60%. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, that that's really not cheating. Uh, equipment is a video or electronics. That's cheating. If yeah, you I, your brain pick up something. That's, that's absolutely just one of the finer techniques in the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a student of the game and it's just studying, you know, if you pick up on it, that's on them and it'll change their uh, habits. And, you know, you know, so if you pick up on it, you get a competitive edge. That's on, that's on them. Yeah. I hear you. Yes, sir. Hey, Amen. That's why, you know, with your signs at second base, you know, as, as a guy at second base, if they're too easy, then that's our fault, you know? Absolutely relay them but uh you know like i said using videos and stuff like that that's just not right you know that that's 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 very rude <laughs> all right so mike you're, you're decked out in the harley gear so the next question obviously from ricky god is what type of motorcycle do you ride uh i ride a 17 limited uh harley davidson it's a bagger it's their uh bagger uh, it's like, like riding a sofa down the road so uh yeah I, I do a lot of traveling on my bike and i have basically put uh, a wheel in every state uh well i haven't hit alaska yet or hawaii but i haven't hit those two and, and you, you uh do you have certain trips you plan every year you, i mean how, 
you've already seen them all now. So I guess my follow-up question is, is there a few particular spots you make sure you hit every year now that you've seen every state? Yeah. Um, every year I go up to uh, the mountains of North Georgia and love the ride up there. I love, love the mountains this time of year and in the spring. Uh, I just got back from my brothers in Lake Charles, Louisiana. In fact, I sat on the bike. Uh, I left at 3.30 in the morning and stopped at my brother's house in Lake Charles, Louisiana at uh, 6.30 that night. It was 850 miles in one sitting. But I've been to California several times uh, I, before. I'm 66 right now, and I think here soon we'll make another west trip with a couple of buddies and, and run with our camping gear. And But uh, it's a passion of mine. I, I've loved it forever. Well, when you're going down the road on a couch, you can run that many miles, right? There you go. Yeah, man. It's like sitting there. It's like, man, this is nice. I hear you. So it's a good trip. The next one's from Chris Williams. It's for both of you. Ed, you can go first. He wants to know who was the most influential person uh, as far as players and coaches uh, during your career? Oh, I, you know, I mean, it's sad, sad to tell you this, but I mean, it ain't sad. It's wonderful to tell you this, but I, I have to tell you that, I mean, I was in playing ball for 13 years, you know, with a lot of injuries up. I mean, a lot of my early years. And I gotta be honest with you. There was nobody that came close to impacting me. Like my dad did. I'm just flat out, you know, in 1983, I, I went over for the Phillies and the Meyer Lakes, you know, three agent and, I mean, I had injuries to miss a year and a half after my rookie season in my league. Man, I went with the Mets. I just said, I told the Phillies, let's be men about this. You know, you're using my offensive. I went from being a number four draft pick to, you know, with uh, MVP year at Helena, Montana. Uh, with Ryan Sandberg, we were co-MVPs. And I led team home runs, RBIs. It just, you know, I mean, I was prospect. I was the real deal. I mean, you know, we're looking at being the man in Philly. But, uh, man, I came down with three pretty solid injuries. It cost me a year and a half. Well, uh, after that, the Phillies team doctor it, it put my ankle back together, told the Phillies. I, heard, I found out later that I was – I may not walk again normally with a low catch. So the Phillies were just using my offensive bat as an organizational guy. And finally, I kind of figured it out. But I said, look, let's be mad about this. I got a lot of things to do in life besides baseball. If, uh, you know, but I'm not going to play – in the big leagues with the DH first base. I mean, I'm not going to hit, you know, 30, 40 home runs a year. And so I signed with the, the Mets. They gave me a chance. They, they, they promised me what, you know, and they, they held the promise, you know, kept it, at least 50% of the time with Lynchburg. And um, hell, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Got a damn long ass story for nothing, wasn't it? Uh, let's see, uh, Lynchburg. Oh, so dad, dad. Uh, so... <laughs> And, and we do that, then we go to the mountain like it's his fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fastball. Yeah. So, um, so I go to Lynchburg there in 1983, and you know, if you want to talk about that, uh, Greg, you can about you know the four consecutive years that I was on a championship team, consecutive order to my leagues to the World Series. I'm talking too fast now, but um, I'm hitting about a buck seventy halfway through the season. I mean. I mean, the way to make a good first impression. And my dad came in town, and and I mean, 
we just did some basic fundamental stuff. And he knew my he knew my swing, and he, he could just get me back to basic. And and I must have hit 450 the last six weeks, and ended up going to structural league and Bing Bing, and and you know, I get big league in a couple of years. But I'm telling you, I have to be honest with you. I was disappointed with with when I look back at the coaching, some of which I felt was detrimental, honestly. Guys got some coaching job for I don't know what reason. And I think they can actually hurt hurt a guy. You know, you're young, coming up through, you know, Marley, you think all these guys know what they're talking about. I look back and I think some of the stupidest things that they tried to get me to do. And I'm the guys. You know, you can ruin a career by teaching a guy how to throw wrong or something, pitchers, whatever. So I have to be honest with you and tell you that, um, you know, my dad was absolutely the most influential person in my life from the time I was a kid. And what's interesting, when I watched that 30, 30, 30 to 30 document, Greg, you talked about the ESPN just did, to hear Keith Hernandez, I had no idea, even in 1986, how influential his dad was. Too much at that point, as, as it turned out to be. I had no clue. But the fact that he was even communicating that late in Keith's career about his hitting just blew me away. I mean, so, I mean, you know, there's another guy. He relied on his dad to help him through a long part of it. But then at the end, it got a little too tense, intense. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful part of that 30 for 30. I can't say I blame you, man. I, uh, being a grown up as a Braves fan, though, Chipper Jones throughout his career, he you know played almost twenty years, and and he had a hitting coaches like Don Baylor and, and among others. But every time he'd get into a slump, you know, being a switch hitter, he would either call his dad up or he'd get, come into town, and Larry Senior would work on Chipper, and he was he knew his swing better than anybody. And I felt like after that, you know, Chipper uh, going a little tear after he got some face time with his dad. So I, you're not the only one. No, and I and I, I learned that more so just a couple of weeks ago with that 30 for 30 with Hernandez. I mean, I know some guys had the same type of relationship and all, but, uh, but you know, as far as professional coaching stuff, there were some managers that I think were really important. And, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, about a guy like Bob Schaefer. You know, nobody knows Bob, uh, but, uh, you know, Sam Palazzo with the Mets. Um, you know, those kind of managers, they were uh, players – managers right. and mike knows what i'm talking about uh, you know they're real true leaders and you want to win for them you know i mean and that's it takes you outside yourself because you know it's one of the things i talk about when i'm speaking you know everybody talks about think outside the box i say oh come on damn it that's ridiculous the important thing is think outside yourself and that's what you get you do when you have a manager or a coach or a leader somebody at work that that draws the best out of you where you're not, you want to win, you want to produce for them. And then you're not even thinking about yourself. So, you know, there are some people who made a difference, but as far as coaching me, I, I got to say that. Mike, did you have someone uh, that stood out for you, either player-wise or coach-wise during your career that influenced you the most? Yeah, uh, the number one guy that got me when I was 13 years old, his name was Mike Roig or Abelio Roig. He was in the Cincinnati organization and pitched for Tampa Smokers. And he got me when I was 13 years old, me and another guy, Ronnie Hamilton. And he would take us out every Sunday and hit us ground balls and worked on our game and everything like that. And that's what made me a better baseball player when I was 13 to 18. Uh, he really helped me 
through my career from that part. But the other people that helped me through my career, I mean, I, you know, there's Elston Howard talked to me a lot. Thurman talked to me a lot. Uh, Scott Merrill was one of my coaches in double A. He was great. Uh, Billy, Billy talked quite a bit, Martin. And a guy that was our catching guy in, in Oakland really helped me quite a bit and was Bob Didier. So there's several names that are in the big leagues and guys that were former major leaguers and all. Uh, but as being a rookie with the Yankees going up, Elson Howard used to talk to me on the bench quite a bit when I was with the Yankees and it started getting the ball rolling and with me and like, but people have to uh, remember I was drafted as a middle infielder. I was a shortstop and I got converted to a catcher and, so that happened. It seemed to become a little easy for me, but I worked hard at the position. But Bob Didier and Stump Merrill really helped me in that aspect uh, as far as catching. All right. Well, so follow up. This question kind of leads into that. So this is from Lee Schelling. Did, did you aspire to be a catcher, a Mike, or did the position chose you? You said you had the versatility to play the other positions with your arm, but did you want to be a catcher or is it just kind of it kind of ended up being that way? Well, I was in AAA with the Yankees, and Bobby Cox was the manager. And uh, I was playing third base, and I was doing pretty well in spring training. So a Cloyd Boyer came up to me and said, hey, Mike, I need to talk to you. I thought I was getting released. <laughs> hey, Cloyd, I said, we've known each other for a while, right? I'm not getting released. He says, no, 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 no. He says, uh, they want to move you to a catcher. What do you think? And I said, Whatever it takes to get to the big leagues, that's what I want to do. And so the Yankees uh, had decided to move me to catcher. Um, chief, I forgot the other guy that kind of suggested it. I probably remember it a little bit, but they suggested move me to the catcher to a catcher. So I went and talked to Bobby Cox, and he said, "This you're going to have to go back to A ball." So I went to A ball and spent. Uh, and four state league, and then I um, and Jerry and Aaron and I were in double A together, and both of us made the all star team. And it just so I love the position. The last time I caught prior to that, uh, I was like 14, 13, 14, but uh, I think catching was the best position for me, and the outfit was my second best position. What, what about you, Ed? Was you a catcher all along, or uh, what? how did that come about? Yeah, you know, I wanted to be an NFL quarterback. That was my <laughs> dream. Uh, and and that's what I wanted to do all the way up through high school, but not, our high school didn't have the kind of program that was – I mean, I was a drop back. I was, you know, thrower and that sort of thing. But my dad brought home this green army sack full of catching gear at seven years old, the little league B team. And he dumped that stuff out on the living floor. I could almost see it today. And he said, hey, Eddie, um, you know, what do you think about this gear? You know, would you, what do you think about catching? Think that'd be fun? And I remember putting that stuff on and thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. And, man, I was off. I mean, it just was uh, – and, and the more I, you know, played – I played other positions, shortstop and all, when the older guys had to catch and all, but – Man, you know, once I got to in uh, ten years old, man, I caught all the way up, and uh, I wasn't as I wasn't as uh, flexibly talented as Michael. Uh, I don't think I could run around and 
I think I played I played American Legion ball when I was 14. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to catch on that team. They had some big old boy. I mean, I was just, you know, they stuck me out in right field. And, man, that fly ball would come out that way. I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, my goodness. But Michael was stud, man. You put him anywhere. He played games. So, and, and to become a catcher, I cannot visualize that mid-career in special ranks. That's just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so this is for both of you. We'll start with Mike from Thomas Green. Uh, what do you think of pitching in the, the era that we're currently in with the shift? And does that limit calling outside pitches with the shift that we see? Because, like, everybody's pull happy. So does that limit your play calling? Or what do you think about the shift today in the pitching? Uh, you know, the fans the offense, right? And But if they want to put more offense in the game, take away the shift where you can't get on. I, I – we, we would shade guys, but we wouldn't shift them like this. They didn't put handlick and everything. I refuse to comment on that question. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I despise, that. I despise that question. I think Mike did well not losing his cool. Talking about the idiotic, the idiot stuff that goes on today in this game, this analytical. <laughs> Sorry. Duly noted, Ed. All right, so the next one is from Mike, from Daniel Gaffario. What was it like being in a catcher on the 78 World Series Yankees, and did you ever, what was your relationship like with Munson, and did he mentor you at all? Yeah, Daniel, that's a great question. Um, Thurman was a great guy to me. Uh, in fact, uh, he took me underneath his wing, as so did uh, Elston Howard did uh, when I was on, you know, not playing. But uh, being able to go out there and catch guys like Ron Guidry, I mean, you get catfish. I even caught catfish in the game. Uh, I mean, there's just goose and sparkling out. You're just – for me, as being a rookie, being there, I was just throwing down numbers, and it seemed like I was throwing the right ones down and catching these guys was awesome. But also, at the same time, I had to look at it that I had to, you know, I had to do my job back there. I didn't let the all of the New York Yankees try to try to overpower me as far as, you know, when I was on the field. So uh, it was just a great experience, and Thurman – I can't say enough about him. He used to talk to me quite a bit. I even flew with him before in his plane. Uh, he talked to me quite a bit. And I don't know it was just, it, I was involved when I was there, but uh, I didn't know let it affect my thinking once I got on the field because my once I get between those white lines, it's all business. And uh, it was just really being able to catch from the guy. Yeah, this one's for you from Dan Emery. Uh, who's the pitcher who threw the hardest to you? Oh, you know, Doc, Doc threw hard. You know, these radar guns today, I mean, you know, people don't throw 105 miles an hour, 102. That's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's just – but Doc, Doc threw hard. Um, uh, there, was a, there was a kid that uh, came up with uh, the Phillies, I think, uh, DeJesus. That brother could sling it. He knew where it's going, but <laughs> but he he ended up figuring it out eventually. But I mean, he he'd wear you out back there. I mean, you know, I think it got so much easier to catch the higher you got up in pro ball. 
I remember rookie league in Helen, man. Them guys, you know, they draft these potential pretty much. You know, with tools and all. And, you know, these guys come in there slinging at 95. Well, 95 is like 100, you know, today. And, uh, but they didn't know where it was going, man. It was a workout. But, you know, uh, I, I, I really never, I, I mean, I don't think it was such a big deal catching guys that, that threw hard. I mean, it that doesn't stick out in my mind much. I mean, occasionally you get worn out the hand figures and all, but, uh, uh, I'd much rather I, – I thought it was funner to catch the the guys that had had the good off-speed stuff, guys who could spot the ball, the guy that had control of four pitches, you know, and you can call anything anytime you wanted. It was great to mess with the hitter. Great. Um, so the next question is from Mike, from also from Dan Murray. Who is your favorite manager to play for? Well, no doubt in my mind, I have two. Sorry. Uh, Billy Martin and Sparky Anderson. Uh, I love Billy. Uh, uh, he's my type of manager. A lot of guys, you know, didn't like him because, you know, he'd always get on you. But I love that type of manager. And I played for Sparky later on in my career with the Tigers. And Sparky was a little more mellow. I think when he was younger, uh, uh, as far as the Cincinnati Reds, uh, he was an aggressive manager also. But uh, Sparky was really good for me later on in my career, but I love Billy Martin and love Sparky. I was hoping you'd throw Bobby in there, but you weren't with him that long, but I understand. Yeah, well, Bobby, you know, I've known Bobby since 74 with the Yankees, and uh, Bobby Cox is a great manager. I mean, he's just a great man, a great manager. He really is. Before I ask you both this question, I think of Bull Durham and I think of the scene where Crash Davis comes out and he's telling Meat what pitch to throw and Meat, Meat don't want to listen to him. He's the up-and-coming prospect and he's like, you know, I'm going to throw what I want to throw. I got a, a million-dollar arm, you know, go to hell, go back here and catch me. So he didn't want to listen. The guy gets in the box. Uh, Crash tells him what's coming. The guy knocks it off the bull. And then he was like, how, he's almost like he knew what was coming. He's like, yeah, he did, because I told him. So the next question is from Dan, or Lee Schilling, and I'll start with Mike first. What happens when a pitcher doesn't want to throw the pitch that the catcher calls for? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, the, the deal behind that of it is if I see something, what the hitter's doing, or he's starting to catch up to a certain pitch or – I see him making the adjustment. I'll throw down down a pitch, and um, then if he shakes me off, and if I throw it down again, he said, "I'll go out and talk to him." And say, hey, man, okay, so what are you thinking? Obviously, but this is what I see. So um, you know, usually if I throw it down twice and they they step off and shake off, I'll go out and take a, a stroll out there and talk to him. But there was this one time, and I'll mention the. Uh, Don Sutton, uh, I remember uh, Lloyd Mosby was the batter, and I called a fastball in. We wanted to run it in on him, and so called it in. And Don stepped off real quick, and Lloyd saw me sitting underneath his hand. So we go back, and uh, so I, I go to my – he's like this. He sat and he sat, so I went – Away, Don Sutton shook, shook me off. Shook me off a step up, so I went running out there. I said, "Hey, Don, you know he saw me sitting with my hands." He told me not to defy him and the pitch he 
oh, don't you ever defy me? And so that was, that was one of the arguments I had one time with, uh, with but 90, 99, 90% of the time, if they shake me off, I'll go out and, and uh, ask them what they think of that situation. Because, you know, you don't want him to throw something he doesn't want to throw. And so you make him make the decision that, hey, okay, that's what you want to do. Let's go get him, you know. So you, you make him throw what uh, he wants to throw at that point. And anything to add to that one? Not much. You know, I think early in my career I was, I was taught strongly that it, in the paper the next day it doesn't say losing catcher Heath or her, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, uh, right on with Mike, I mean, you know, what Mike said, most importantly is if, if you make a guy throw something, I mean, do you think he's going to throw his best whatever you call there? No. He's going to flop that up and, you know, it might end up, you know, next state. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're just not going to get his best. But when, when you're in sync with a pitcher and, you, and you, he's out there thinking, and then when he sees that same thing that he's wanting to throw, Man, that's just juice for him. That's just, man, that's just, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of how long the game takes. If, if you're doing that because if you got that work with him, his confidence is so much stronger. Absolutely. Um, so none of that Bull Durham stuff really happens. Is it that's just Hollywood, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll leave it in Hollywood. Hey guys, so we got another show to do. Um, we went a little long, we had some technical difficulties, but we overcome it. We got the catcher's perspective. The fans got the questions they wanted to hear. Uh, you all went at length. Uh, I don't, uh, you all do the old jokes back and forth, but hell, your memory is almost better than mine, I think. And I'm only 39, so I think you're doing just fine. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I'd like to have you both on, uh, preferably next year, if you'd be willing to come on and talk again. Um, it's been a pleasure, guys, and uh, thanks for doing the show, and thanks for the you know, fan interaction. Um, we'll post it hopefully tonight or tomorrow morning. Sound good? Sounds yes, great. I mean, it sounds great. Go, go ahead, Mike. Go. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me, and I'd love to join you anytime on your show. You would love to have me on. It's all good, man, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, Greg, I, I echo that. Uh, I appreciate the fan interaction. It's neat to interact with people, the folks that are true fans and that they want to know this stuff. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, for any of us who played the game, it's always fun to talk about the ball game for the fans, but for me and probably Mike as well, to hear some of the stuff that he talked about, that's fun for me. I'm sitting back here listening going, oh, yeah, that's cool. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, thanks for having us, Greg. Appreciate it, man. You keep swinging. You're doing a good job, man. Hopefully you fill up this group and have a good time with this. Amen, brother. I appreciate you guys. And if you haven't already, invite some of your friends that played with you. I'd appreciate it. And uh, until next time, I appreciate it.